And tonight will be less like, oh, we have 15 things to talk about. That was a lot last week. Uh, so tonight we're, we're going to talk about the Trinity. So God existing as three in one. And we're going to talk through why, why we believe that based on Scripture, um, where we find it, um, and then why it's so in, essential and important to what we believe. Um, really, because it is, it's who God is. Um, I was thinking about it, you know, the last two weeks we've been dealing with God's um, attributes. So we've, we talked a little bit about his, right, infinity, his uh, omnipresence, he's omnipotent, um, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. Uh, and then we talked even about, you know, he's faithful and he's loving and he's kind. And I think, uh, and maybe you can give some... Uh, feedback, but I think sometimes when we talk about God's attributes, we, we tend to only think of God the Father in connection to those attributes. Would you agree or disagree when we talk about God's infinity and his eternity and all of these attributes that we just studied for two weeks, I think a lot of times we just think of God the Father and we don't necessarily think of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in connection to those attributes. Am I wrong, or do you, do you think that's true? <laughs> you are correct, yeah. Okay, so it's not just me. <laughs> and yeah, it's so interesting. Um, Christianity teaches that God exists as one God, and yet he is three persons. And all of the attributes that we've studied so far are true of all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so here's, here's my goal for tonight, a couple of goals. I want to give us a definition of the Trinity. How would we define uh, God, his nature? And then how is that shown in Scripture, right? We want to know, okay, is this actually what the Bible teaches, that God is three in one, or is this something that we just kind of made up? Um, is it actually in there? Can we prove it, I guess, from Scripture? We want to look at, from history, some, some of... Uh, some people's ideas of how to explain away the Trinity to make it more, you know, understandable, which ends up always into, you know, heresy and false teaching. We want to look at a few examples of that. And then at the end, um, why does it matter? Why does it actually matter that God is three in one? Does that affect anything? Does that affect our salvation? Does it affect, right, our actual daily lives? So that's kind of um, where we're going. Now, does anyone know the verse where it says that God exists as a trinity. Does anyone know that Bible verse? It doesn't exist. <laughs> Man, he's good. <laughs> yeah, it's a trick question. Um, so the Bible doesn't explicitly um, say that God exists as the trinity. There is no verse that says, you know, therefore God is three in one. There is, there is no verse that exists like that. Um, however, we see the, the doctrine of the Trinity taught all throughout the Bible, the idea that God is three in one. And it's fascinating, and we'll see tonight, as you read from cover to cover, the idea of the Trinity is progressively revealed as you read on through the Bible. Like, you get glimpses of it in the Old Testament, and then it's like, as the Bible goes on, it's like, oh, more and more understanding of the Trinity. 
um, as, as you read the Bible. But I, I found this interesting, and maybe if you're like a Bible nerd, you'll find this interesting too. Um, in the King James Version, there is a verse, 1 John 5, 7. And in the King James Version of the Bible, this is how it is read. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So you go, well, that's pretty definitive. Now, um, here's the problem with that verse. If, you, if I read 1 John 5, 7 from my Bible, it says, for there are three that testify the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. And so you go, wait a second, that seems very different, right? Um, here's the problem with um, that verse. I mean, if, we, if that is actually what it said, man, that'd be great, because it would just definitively be like, there's three in heaven, Father, Word, Holy Ghost, these three are one. The problem is, is that that verse, that translation of 1 John 5, 7 comes from uh, a very, very small number of very, very unreliable manuscripts. The earliest is from the 14th century, so in the 1300s. So as archaeologists were digging up stuff, they found some manuscripts that were written in 1300s that said that, and they went, okay, that's pretty far removed from when 1 John was actually written. So it's suspect, right? Um, so anyways, that... We're not going to get into, like, <laughs> Bible translations, but I just found that interesting that there is one translation of the Bible that seems to say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're one, and yet I'm not 100% convinced that that is quite reliable, and that's why most modern translations don't translate it that way, because it's, it's a little bit suspect. Um, so the idea of three-in-oneness... Um, does that seem like a contradiction to you, that God is one God and yet he exists as three persons? I don't know, have you, anyone wrestled with that before or have you just made peace like, I just don't understand it, I'm not going to think about it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It kind of sounds like those creator three Lego sets. Oh yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I think sometimes when we say God is three in, in one, we say, well, is he one God or is he three gods, right? Because we say, well, God, there's one God, but he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we go, well, that sounds like three gods, right? There's three, three different people that you're talking about. Um, and here's why, and we're going to unpack it, but the, no human being on their own would have thought up the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, because it's just... It, it, you get to a point where it's just a little bit unexplainable and you have to believe it by faith. And so if, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, some men were sitting around going, let's create a religion, no, no human being would invent the idea of the Trinity because it's just so out there. And that's why for thousands of years, people have tried to explain away the Trinity because they go, it just doesn't make sense, right? So you have... And we'll get into that, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and others who deny the Trinity and deny the divinity of Jesus because they go, it's just too, it just can't be, right? Um, and so tonight, we want to look with just wonder and awe at who God is. Um, and we'll, we'll get to, like I said, we'll get to a certain degree where we understand and you can kind of wrap your mind around it. Um, but there is some mystery to it that we have to just kind of be okay with. Um, one scholar said this, uh, talking about the Trinity. 
Try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> if you try to like, hey, I figured it out fully, it's like, uh, I don't know if that's quite possible. So um, let's dive into a definition and just kind of work with some scripture um, with how we can explain this. This comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So throughout church history, they would, they would write down different confessions of faith for, for what we believe, right? And so the Westminster Confession of Faith says this, there are three persons within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power, and glory. Um, a, a, a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem, he's a theologian, he summed it up this way, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person is fully God, and there is one God. I'll say that again, because that's kind of, okay. So God, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. And I know already, like, uh, logically speaking, it, it's kind of like, well, that's impossible. <laughs> But there's, there's three elements to that definition, right? Um, God is three persons. That's really crucial, right? Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there are three persons. Um, each person is fully God. So it's, and we'll get into this in a bit. It's not like God is split into three um, sections, right? Each person is fully God. And then um, there's only one God. Those are kind of the three elements. There is one God. Um, three persons, each person is fully God, and there's only one God. So what that means is that um, God exists as three distinct persons. So the Father um, is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct. They're separate. They're different persons. Um, this is really important too. Each person is fully God. So it's not as if, okay, well, God is like a third Father, a third Son, and a third, you know, Holy Spirit, if you would think of it like, okay, so he's, so this is God. He's kind of split into three. Uh, no, he's not. Each person is fully God. So if you would say, well, how much of God is Jesus? 100%. How much of God is the Father? 100%. How much of God is the Spirit? 100%. Each, each person of the Trinity is fully God, right? He's not segmented. And then there's only one God. So we're not saying that, um, right, it's not, okay, then there's three gods who kind of exist together, maybe. Um, that would be tritheism, right? Uh, multiple gods. But there's not. There is one God. Um, each person, uh, uh, they're, they're one in purpose. They're in agreement on what they think. They're one in essence, and they're one in their essential nature. And yet they've eternally, God has eternally existed as three persons, I would love to hear like thoughts as your brain is processing this. 
Because I know um, automatically our brains try and go to some of these explanations, right? Okay, well, maybe God's now like a third, a third, a third. Yeah? So when you say that each one is fully God, what do you like, define as God? Like having all the attributes of God? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, and just to like, that he's not uh, segmented like that. Okay, well, God exists as a third father, a third Jesus, a third... It's no, each person in the Trinity is fully God. Yeah, possesses all the attributes of God. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. So way, the way we've had it explained is, so God is three persons, so that's polytheism. If you believe there are three separate people, sure. Yep. there's enough verses that say there's one true God. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing is, okay, well, maybe it's just three persons. Okay, like three separate masks. Sure. And you can't be two masks at once. You only wear one at a time. So that's that's modalism, where it's one guy acting three parts out. So that's out of the question. Yeah. So I think what ends up happening is you have to start agreeing that each is a sovereign, fully God element, but together they are still called called one God. And I don't. That's where I think the faith comes into play because I don't. Mm-hmm. Those two examples are sort of what I'm saying is where a brain would naturally go, right? Totally. And then I also wondered about our bodies being like mind. What is it? Body, soul, spirit kind of thing? You know, mm-hmm. like we have flesh, we have a mind to think mm-hmm. of, and we have a heart to feel out of. Yep. So that might be the closest thing, because I'm still one Brandon, mm-hmm. and I'm nothing without either of those parts. You move that heart, I'm dead, I'm gone. Uh-huh. So I'm Brandon, but I'm also spirit fully, because I have one, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a mind and a body. Mm-hmm. That's good. Sorry? We're made after the image of God. Right. Yep. Oh yeah, that's what it was. And then because we're made out of that, we're made out of the image of God. Like he's mm. showing you his Trinitarian mm. creation in your own body. Because right? mm. the other one you can think of too is ice, water, and steam. Those are three separate states of the same thing and they can't happen at the same time. right? Yes. So it is tricky. I think the human body is the best way to describe it. Yeah. To like a kid or something, right? Sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> She left the JWs, so. Oh, sure, yeah, totally. A, a big this is a big one. And for me, the, what, how I've wrestled through this is that, and we're, we're about to go there, the scripture support, because there is, there is scripture support for each of these statements. There's scripture that backs up that God is three person. There's scriptures that back up each person is fully God. And there's scripture that backs up there's one God. And when you kind of piece this all together, this is how they, they came up with these confessions of faith because they go, okay, there's no verse that, that says God is a trinity, he exists as three in one, and yet there's verses that show all, all these statements to be true. And so you kind of, you take all of that and you put it together and then you come up with, right, this, this, these statements, I guess. So let's start then uh, at the bottom, the fact that there's one God. So when we talk about the Trinity, we're not talking about there's three separate gods uh, because the Bible says um, all throughout it that that's not true. There is only one God. So we'll just read some of the ones on your sheet there. 
um, Exodus 20. This is right um, before the Ten Commandments. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. So like in the, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is you can't have any other gods. So right away we would go, okay, so they're not three gods, right? Because God says, I'm God, you can't have any other gods. Um, Deuteronomy 6 uh, is what is called the Shema, right? And this was the Israelites, this was so important to them. This was kind of, they would recite it and it was part of their statement of faith, if you want to call it that, right? So it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So right there, right, how they, how they would recite this is, okay, God is one. There's not many gods. There's only one God. Um, in 1 Kings 8, 60, it says that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other, right? No other gods besides Yahweh. Um, Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I mean, it's pretty adamant, right? Like um, Isaiah 45 uh, down in 21 and 22. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Um, then you get to the New Testament, uh, and there's a, a bunch of places in the New Testament that talk about God being one. 1 Corinthians 8, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and, there is, and that there is no God but one. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all from whom are all things and for whom we exist. First um, Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So even, right, even fallen angels know that there's only one God, right? God is one. There's not multiple gods. Um, even they have that theology worked out, right? <laughs> and they're demons. Um, so all throughout scripture, and, and we could have looked at more, but we, we won't for sake of time. We're told over and over and over again, okay, there's one God. There are not three gods. There are not hundreds of gods. There is only one God. So we, we kind of start with that, right? So that's really helpful for us as we uh, understand the nature of God. Well, there's only one of him. Um, and then you look at scriptures that talk about the, the threeness of God, um, God existing as multiple persons. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, it's like, we'll get to the New Testament where it clearly says Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, it's just, there's uh, a plurality of language that is used that is really fascinating. And we'll get into some, there's differing ideas about this, but there is... Um, you know, us language used when God speaks. And then you have scriptures where more than one person is referred to 
as God in the Old Testament. And you go, well, wait a second, right? Don't th- we just read all those passages. There's only one God. And now we're going to see the threeness of God. Um, so Genesis 1.26, and uh, like I said, there's debate over this, but we'll, we'll get into this. Uh, in Genesis 1.26, when God creates mankind, um, if you remember, he creates everything, and then the very last thing he says, he creates in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So right away, before we get into like, what could that mean? Isn't it just curious that there's plural language and nowhere else that, you know, God doesn't, it doesn't say uh, that anywhere else in the creation story. We get to humanity and it's like God is having, uh, seems like he's having a discussion. Let us make man in our image. And you go, well, who is he talking to? Um, I don't know. Maybe people who have done study know that there's differing of, of opinions. But wh- how, what do you think about this like, pl- plural language being used? God the Father, like, but then God the Father can't be seen by people, so then the other two persons would need to come into play? Um, we, we, we do see even um, in verse 1 and 2, like, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep, and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So already you have, okay, God created the heavens, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So you already have kind of like plurality there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess when, once we get to mankind, to me it sounds like God's talking to other people, right? He's not just, he's not just saying, I will now make mankind. He's like, hey, let, let us make mankind in our image. And you kind of go, okay, well, he's talking to somebody, right? <laughs> so who is he talking to? Yep. Yep. Um, there's a few. There's a few um, options. Some scholars have said, "Well, God is speaking in plurals of majesty." So what he means is like when a king sometimes uses plural language. Like the example that this scholar gave is when you know we are pleased to grant your request. Like sometimes a, you know a king of majesty would use plural language about himself. Um, the problem is with that, like, uh, okay, sure, um, sometimes kings would speak like that in this like majestic language, but th- in the Hebrew text, um, nowhere else in the Hebrew Bible does a king ever speak like that. So it, it, sure, it exists in other places, but in our Bibles, there's no example of a king being like, it, we are pleased to have you here. It's just, oh, that doesn't exist in the Hebrew language. So there's problems with that. Um, some have said, well, God maybe is speaking to angels or his heavenly council. So w- we know that God created the heavens and the earth, and somewhere in there, God created the heavenly beings um, and created angels. 
And so uh, elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about God's heavenly counsel, which are angelic beings that, um, how would you describe it, Corland? Because you've done some study on this. Yeah, it's I not as if they are gods, but they're angelic beings who God kind of includes in stuff. Yeah. <laughs> a, really, a really quick crash course would be the word gods in the Hebrew text is it's used not interchangeably, but Elohim is used both of Yahweh, God, and used of gods as in the gods of the other nations. Um, and so El in the Hebrew is, is used in like Psalm 82 where God, Yahweh, sits in the council of the Elohim uh, and, and so on and so forth. But the idea for that word is not so much the word doesn't associate with the character traits of Yahweh. The word just describes a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. um, so Yahweh is completely separate and other compared to the other Elohim. It's just simply a word that's used to describe a spiritual being. Yeah, some type of angelic being. Yep. Yeah, so it would be in, in that description, it would be God is talking to a council of spiritual beings, but he is still the one putting forth the idea. He is still the one that we are made in the image of. He is still the one initiating. He is still the one doing the creation. The other Elohim in that case would have no actual like power to do any of this. It's more so just a presentation of what he's going to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, and so um, there's debate about that. One of the issues, and I know you kind of said it, one of the issues that people have said is, okay, well, it's the way God's wording it is that let us make man in our image, and people have right away said, but wait a second, we're not made in the image of angels, we're only made in the image of God. So if he's including angels in, like, let us make man in our image, which I get that, um, or the third option is God is using plural language because he's a plurality of persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and this could be an example of, oh, look, in the first chapter of the Bible, God's already speaking as multiple persons. So you go, okay, well, that's interesting. And then you kind of, you move on. In Genesis 3.22, um, after Adam and Eve sin, and they eat from the, the tree, and God is going to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. He, he says in Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. And again, you could say, well, maybe he's just talking to the angels. Okay, yeah. But it's just interesting that um, the, the temptation was, if you eat from this tree, you'll become like God. And God says, now um, he's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So you go, okay, well, there's a plurality of persons again. Um, in Genesis 11:7, when the Tower of Babel is, uh, or Babel, however you want to say it, is being built, uh, in Genesis 11:7, this is God speaking. He says, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So no, it's another example of God's going to go down and confuse their speech but he says, hey, let us go down. So you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. There's plural language again. Um, Isaiah 6, 8. Uh, if you remember, Isaiah has the, the vision of the throne room and the, uh, the God's temple and right, his throne. And then it says uh, in verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you go, okay, well, there, there it is again. God is saying, who's going to go for us? And he's talking about himself, right? Uh, God, there's one God, but he's using all this plural language. You go, okay, interesting. Um, 
Then you have other passages, like I said, where multiple people seem to be called God. Um, In Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so uh, scholars have said, well, it's interesting. It sounds like the psalmist is saying like that there's God and your God. And it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. Two separate people. Um, And then uh, in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, you go, well, wait a second. Who's he talking to? It's capital L, Lord, like the, talking about Yahweh. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You know, well, who's God talking to? Like, that's interesting. Two lords are described there. Um, um, Isaiah 48, 16. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. Um, from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So you go, okay, so there's the Lord God and his spirit. And you go, well, it sounds like there's two persons being described here. And you go, well, what's going on here, right? <laughs> um, then the, the, the last interesting character in the, New, in the Old Testament is, is uh, a person called the angel of the Lord. Um, Literally, uh, it's, he's the messenger of Yahweh, and so we, the angel of the Lord shows up several times in the Old Testament, and you can tell right away from all of the interactions that the angel of the Lord has with people that he's not just an angel, because you go, this is, this is um, above normal angel interactions, right? Um, he's a character uh, separate from God, yet he's often called God. He does only things, or he does things that only God can do, and the angel of the Lord receives worship from people as God, which if you read in your Bible, anytime someone tries to worship an angel, the angel says, no, 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 don't worship me, only worship God. But in the Old Testament, when people worship the angel of the Lord, he receives their worship. So you go, well, that's, so I'll give you a few examples. Um, and it's all over, so we won't look at all of them. But in Genesis 16, 13, if you remember, um, uh, Abraham and Sarah have their little scheme. We're going to get Hagar pregnant. That'll, we'll, we'll fast track this. And then they send Hagar away with her son and she's in the wilderness. And then and it says the angel of the Lord comes and meets with Hagar and takes care of her. And then it says this in Genesis 16, 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. So that's right after the, the angel of the Lord comes and takes care of Hagar and her son. And Hagar's response is, you are a God of seeing. She doesn't say like, you're an angel that helped me. She says, you, the angel of the Lord, are a God of seeing. I have seen him who looks after me. So here you have someone who's not called God. He's called the angel of the Lord. And yet people who interact with him go, I've seen God. Um, even Moses in the burning bush, if you remember that story in Exodus 3, um, I'll just read it for you. It says, the, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord uh, saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. So notice it said, the angel of the Lord was in the bush. And now it says, God called to him from the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. But it was the angel of the Lord. So isn't that, so I find that super interesting that we're explicitly told the angel of the Lord comes to appear to Moses. And yet when the angel of the Lord speaks, he says, I am God. And you go, okay, so... We, we're seeing multiple persons in God. Um, even Exodus 23, when God uh, speaks to the people about um, how he's going to lead them through, right? He says, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I've prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey, and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for I will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So you go, that's interesting. This can't just be another angel because God says, my name is actually in him. So this is someone who's unique, right? Um, and then the last one in Judges 2, um, this is what it says. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham. And he said, so this is what the angel of the Lord is saying. Yeah, I, <laughs> that was the Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into lands that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So the angel of the Lord says, I'm the one that made the covenant with you. And you go, well, wait a second, God made the covenant with the Israelites. And so I, I think what we have uh, in the angel of the Lord, notice that it's not just uh, an angel, just some random angel. It's always the angel of the Lord. Uh, I believe, and there's lots of, of scholars that think this, that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Jesus the second member of the Trinity, who sh and that's why he can show up, say things that only God can say, receive worship from people, um, and, and he's not just a regular angel. Does that make sense? I don't know. Thoughts? So God created man in his own image, and it switches to his. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Because um, he's three and one. <laughs> right. But you're right. You're not wrong. You're right. Let us create man in our image, so God created in his image. So you go, well, that's interesting. So... Yeah. Yeah, so for me, the main thing in the Old Testament is even in the Old Testament, right, it's not fully flushed out yet. It's not like, a, okay, well, we know for sure there's three persons. We don't know that yet, right, as you read progressively through the Old Testament. 
But right from the beginning and throughout the Old Testament, you go, it seems like there's more than one person in the Godhead, but we're told over and over and over there's only one God, right? Um, so you have a, a character like the angel of the Lord. You have all these plural languages, of, I mean, uh, plurality of like us. Let's, let us go down. We're, uh, let us, they're going to become like us. So throughout the Old Testament, there's clear evidence that Okay, God exists as more than one person. I don't know how many persons yet, if we're just reading the Old Testament. I don't know how it works, but it's just clear from the Old Testament, okay, God is more than one person, right? We're, we're beginning to, uh, to see that. Um, other thoughts? Has anyone, yeah, go for it. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. No, and the difference would be there. There, they are like we. If God was like that, then He would be three gods. Right, but he's not. He's only one. So again, it's it's always interesting trying to grasp from like human human examples. I've heard, you know, he's like a clover, a three leaf clover, or he's like a tree, and there's roots and uh, uh, a trunk and branches, and maybe that's the three parts. And it's like you can get like seventy five percent of the way with your human examples, but there's just that's not quite like that, though, right? You know what I mean? Um, there is, we're going to get to that actually, because I think there are, uh, each member of the Trinity does different things. Totally. Yep. Cause you even, so I'll give you like, so even for our salvation, um, God, the father didn't die on the cross for us. Jesus did. Right. But God, the father planned redemption. Jesus, uh, accomplished it. And then the Holy spirit applies it to us. So you see each member of the Trinity has a role in our salvation. So you're right. They, they do different things. Totally. <laughs> I would say no. It's not that they. It's not that they can't. Because then, the danger is that we're we're kind of splitting, splitting God up, and there's things that the Holy Spirit only He can do, and only He can. And I don't think it's that. I think um, Father, Son, and Spirit choose to do different things, right? Even if if you remember in John, Jesus says that um, I should just go there that one of the Holy Spirit's job is to essentially point people to Jesus. So you would say, it's not as if the Holy Spirit, he's like, he can only do that. 
But that's what the Holy Spirit, the, that person of the Trinity, loves to do is point people to Jesus, right? Um, so yeah, I, that kind of language, I'm always like hesitant. I don't think that it's like the, that Jesus can't do certain things, but he, he, he willingly does, like he came, he willingly came to die on the cross. That's what he, right? God sent him. So, yeah. Maybe like they can do all the things, but like if the Holy Spirit say accomplishes salvation, then that's not the Holy Spirit, then that's um, the Son. So like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of a, ties your brain in knots a little bit. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll keep moving into the, into the New Testament. So this, we're, all, we're just looking in the Old Testament so far. And so far, we don't know for sure three in the Old Testament, but we go, it seems to be that God exists as multiple persons. Then you get to the New Testament, and it's like it becomes even clearer, right? Um, you have passages where God the Father is mentioned, um, Matthew 6, for instance, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So you have this idea of a heavenly Father. Um, even when Jesus is dying on the cross, he, he cries out to his Father. He cries out to God. Um, it says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you go, okay, Jesus is fully God. Well, who is he talking to, right? He's talking to his father, um, the, another person in the Trinity. Um, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your heavenly father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's, there's instances where we're told, okay, God is the Father, right? He's mentioned as our Heavenly Father. Then, as you keep reading, you see instances where God the Son is mentioned, where Jesus is explicitly said to be, to be God. Like John 1, verses 1 and 2 is so clear. In the beginning was the Word, um, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, okay, so if we just stopped there, we would go, okay, well, there's two gods then. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But then it says, and the Word was God. And you go, okay, <laughs> right? He was in the beginning with God. So here you have an, a mention of Jesus who is God. Um, Romans 9, 5, it says, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who, his, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So there's a verse that says, Jesus is God over all. Um, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, speaking of Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So here's Jesus who all the fullness of deity dwells in him. Um, Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Jesus is called the great God. Um, Hebrews 1, it says, But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through, who, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus, right, was there in creation. It says Jesus created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So you go, okay, here's several examples where Jesus now, right? We have the heavenly father mentioned in the, in the New Testament. And then you have Jesus mentioned, he's our great God. Okay, so you have two persons, right? Um, and then you have God the Spirit mentioned in the um, New Testament. In Acts 5, if you remember when Ananias and Sapphira lie about their tithe and then they both die. If you remember, it says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself parts of the proceeds of the land while it remains unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God, right? So Peter says, uh, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you've lied to God, right? So the Holy Spirit is called God. And in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's temple dwells in you? If you destroy God's temple, God uh, will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So talking about God's spirit, right? The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Um, so he's mentioned as divine. So, so you then, in the New Testament, you, you begin to see, okay, there's, there's three persons who are consistently mentioned. You have Father, you have Son, and you have Holy Spirit. Those seem to be the three persons that make up God. All the while going, we know the Bible says there's only one God, and you've seen from a few of these passages that each person is fully God. Like in Coloss the Colossians 2 passage, it says, the fullness of deity all of God is Jesus. It all, all of it, not part of it. Like Jesus is fully um, God. And then, sorry, I know this is a lot. We'll, we'll stop. But then you have multiple passages where, where all three are mentioned. Um, and we'll get into the idea of modalism because some have said like, well, maybe God just exists. He's the Father sometimes, and then he's the Son sometimes, and then he's the Spirit sometimes. But you have examples where all three persons are mentioned at the same time. Um, so it, at Jesus' baptism, for instance, if you remember, Jesus is, is baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew 3. And then it says, when Jesus was baptized, so here's God the Son, right, second member of the Trinity, being baptized. When he went up from the water, behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So there's a third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, there you have the father speaking. So at Jesus' baptism, you have all three members operating, right? Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit's coming down. God the Father is saying, this is my son. Um, even in the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, um, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have all, all three members of the Trinity mentioned. A um, couple more passages, and then we'll pause for a second. 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. So you have Spirit, Lord, and God, right? Three persons mentioned. 
Um, 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So you have all three mentioned again. And then 1 Peter 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So you have Father, Spirit, and Jesus mentioned. So I don't know, are you, are you seeing kind of the pieces <laughs> come together as, we, as you move through the Bible, or are you just confused? <laughs> mm-hmm. This is why they, they killed Jesus, because he was claiming to be God. And in the Jewish worldview, there's only one God. Jesus cannot be claiming to be God. That's blasphemy, right? Because they, uh, in the Jew, even to this day, in the Jewish religion, in Judaism, it's, there is one, it's not a trinity. There is one God, Yahweh. Um, Jesus is not God. And so that's why they were so upset when Jesus says things like, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And they're like, what? You can't say that, <laughs> right? Because they, they had no concept in their worldview of God being three persons. So when Jesus claims to be God, they're going, you're setting yourself up as a rival to Yahweh. You can't do that. Like, there's only one God, um, which is why they killed him, essentially. Aren't they really setting themselves up for confusion then? Because, you know, they, they already said Jesus wasn't God. But if they're, if they're still expecting a Savior to come, mm -hmm. expecting a Savior to come as a man, so when, let's say another man shows up and he starts doing deeds and he says, I'm God, you're not God, God's up there still, and they kill him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're just setting themselves up for a constant cycle of problems. Where, yeah. where essentially God never comes unless apparently he wipes out the entire earth to prove that he's God. Yeah, and that's why they, there was a cycle of fake messiahs before and after Jesus who would say, no, 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 I am the messiah. And then he would get killed in some battle and they would go, oh, I guess he wasn't the messiah. So yeah, you're right. It, it produces an endless cycle, totally. Yep. Okay, so, so hopefully you're seeing from Scripture, um, each of these statements is seen uh, in the Bible. So even though there's no verse that says God exists as three persons and there's only one God, um, you see tons of passages that there is only one God. You see tons of passages where God is presented as three persons. And then you see so, like Jesus claiming to be fully God uh, and fully man. So you see all three of those statements uh, in, in the Bible at different times. Um, so again, just to like recap, so we have one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and each person is fully God. 
right? We're kind of trying to wrap our minds around this a little bit. Um, it might help to speak uh, a little bit about ways that people have tried to explain it that ultimately don't really measure up, I guess. And they've already, they've already been mentioned, but one, um, so, so know this, for like the first 500 years of the church, this was one of the biggest debates that they had. It was this and the deity, of, the, the deity of Jesus. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? For like 500 years, the church was like, how do we explain this, <laughs> right? So early on, and it was already mentioned, one of the ideas was modalism. Um, and this was the idea that as, as people read scripture, they said, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's one God and he just appears to us in different forms, right? Maybe sometimes it's like God appears to us as the Father, and then, and then sometimes he appears to us as the Son, and then sometimes he appears to us as the Spirit. And it was, a, it was an effort to say, he's not three in one, he's just one, he just has different modes that he comes and, and appears to us. So they would say, in the Old Testament, God primarily uh, was the Father. And then you get to when Jesus walked the earth, and now, you know, God is Jesus, he appeared as Jesus, and then after Jesus left, then, then he, uh, the Spirit of God was given, and he appeared as, as the Spirit then. So there's only, a f gosh, only, there's a lot of problems with that, because when Jesus is on the earth, then who is he praying to, and who is he talking to? Right? If there's only one God and he's not the Father and Son and Spirit at the same time, well then when Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you, who is he talking to? Right? So it doesn't make sense for, for Father, Son, and Spirit not to all exist at the same time or else Jesus is like a schizophrenic who's talking to nobody, right? Um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then there's those specific passages that mention all three. Not like, you know, he appeared as the Father, he appeared as the Son, he appeared as the Spirit. Um, no, he is all three of those. But in the early church, it's really fascinating. This, this modalism was widespread teaching, like all over the place. Um, there was a guy named Notice of Smyrna, and at the end of the second century, so in the 100s, right, like so 150 years after Jesus, he was teaching that uh, God just appears as Father, Son, and Spirit. You have a guy named Praxius who was in the early third century. You have a guy named Sibelius who was in the middle third century who was teaching this stuff in the early church. And even today, there are people who believe, uh, who, who are modalists, who believe that God is one, he is not three in one. Um, the United Pentecostal Church is a whole denomination, a very big denomination, that uh, says that there are, the Trinity does not exist. There's one God, he appears as either Father, Son, or Spirit at different times. Um, and like I, I said, the, the problem is, is that there's multiple scriptures where all three persons of the Trinity appear at the same time. And you cannot explain that in any other way, right? And the problem is if, if God, if modalism is true, um, then you lose the heart of the atonement because the heart of our salvation is that God the Father sent his son, right? And if, if, if God the Father was just like, okay, now I'll 
and I'll be Jesus now, well, then you lose the whole heart of the atonement of God actually giving his own son for us. Um, so early on, like in the fourth century, they hammered that out, and the early church was like, no, that doesn't explain it. That's heresy. Um, it was at the Council of Constantinople in the fourth century. And that, they, they made this definitive statement. The one Godhead exists simultaneously in three modes of being. So notice they put simultaneously, because people, you could say, the one, God, the one Godhead exists in three modes of being, sure, he can be one here and one here. So they said, no, 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 he exists simultaneously at the same time as Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, the, one of the other ones was Arianism. So this is like, okay, God, God is just Father sometimes, then he switches to being Jesus, then he switches to being Spirit. Um, Arianism was the idea that Jesus is not God, and the Holy Spirit is not God. Um, they, they are created, essentially. And so a guy named Arius, who was an elder in the church in the city of Alexandria, he just kind of formulated this idea that Jesus was the first being that God created, Right? So, does anyone know the religion that believes that today? Yeah, Jehovah Witnesses. That Jesus is not God. He's, he's a God. He's like God-like, but he was the first created being, and he has a, uh, a similar nature to God, like very similar. Um, and so, uh, Arius, his whole argument, it's actually really fascinating if you like Greek words, which you all do. Um, so there's two words. There's homoousius, and there is homo, I got to get this right, there's an I. I don't know how to say the difference, but you'll, you'll notice there's an I, right? So this word means um, of the same nature, and this word means of a similar nature. Really? So one letter in Greek, right? Homoousius, homoousius, or whatever. Um, the exact same nature, similar nature. So Arius was saying, well, well, maybe Jesus is not the same nature, the homoousius. Maybe he's just like very, very similar. He's close to being God. He's so similar, but he's not the same, right? Um, and so uh, uh, Arius was ha very happy to say Jesus is very similar to God, but he just would not say that Jesus is God. So in 325 AD, they had this church council, the Council of Nicaea, and Arius was condemned, you're a false teacher. Arianism is not true. So, right, you can just see people are trying in the early church to wrap their minds around the idea of the Trinity, and so far, it's like, well, it can't be that, and it can't be that, right? Um, the other one was called adoptionism. And this was the idea that Jesus was just a man. Um, he was just an ordinary guy. And then at his baptism, God adopted him as his son and gave him, like, supernatural powers, I guess. Um, and so this was an idea of trying to understand the relationship between father and son. So um, 
like they said, prior to baptism, Jesus was just a very good man, very virtuous. And then at baptism, when the Spirit descended on him, that was God being like, okay, now you're going to be my son. And then he did miracles. And some of people who held to this said, no, God, it's like Jesus like progressively became God. He wasn't always God. He just kind of became God. Um, so councils met, and it was like, nope, this is in 268 AD. They said, nope, that's not it either. Um, then there was a guy by the name of Athanasius. Has anyone heard that name before? You should. We owe a lot to Athanasius. Um, he was a 29-year-old, uh, um, what would be the word? He was like a helper to the bishop. So he wasn't even a bishop. He was like the bishop's helper. And he devoted his entire life to battling the Arian controversy. 29 years old, and he was the guy that brought all the stuff to the councils, being like, no, this is wrong. Jesus is not a God. He is God. So this like 29-year-old guy in you know, 325 AD, he's one of the main reasons. He was the one that influences the thinking of the church going, yeah, you know what? Athanasius is right. Um, Arianism is wrong. Jesus is God. So you owe a lot to Athanasius. You didn't even know that. <laughs> but he is this young guy that they just battled it out. And so then, you know, we get to some of these uh, statements of faith. Okay, we have one God who, who exists eternally as three persons. And that's where they landed based on their study of Scripture knowing that we, we can't fully explain it. If you try and fully figure it out, you always end up with heresy. That's just the truth about the Trinity. If you're like, okay, what about this? And if we did this, and it's like, mm, it's always going to lead to not great things. Um, so uh, really what they came with is, uh, and I already drew those pictures a little bit, but it's not as if God is split into three, Right? Um, he's not a third Jesus, a third father, a third uh, spirit. Um, it's not as if, where's the next one? Um, it's not as if you have God, uh, here's God, and then uh, father, son, and spirit are like add-ons. Do you get what I mean? Like father, son. Um, it, it's not saying that there's God and then uh, father, son, and spirit are just like different attributes. Uh, or add-ons to who he is. Um, also, it's not as if, um, you know, modalism would say, okay, well, there's one God, but it's just like three different ways of looking at him, right? Depending on where you are, well, I see, I see God as the Holy Spirit. Well, I see him as the Son. And, and the early church said, no, it's not that. Um, it's the idea that God exists... Um, and again, pictures never fully explain it, but I've seen it drawn as like, right, he's, the, the dotted lines means he's not, it's not like he's split, um, but there are distinct persons in the Godhead. Um, they're not a third, a third, a third. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God, but they're still distinct, separate persons. Um, I don't know, is that picture helpful 
Thoughts on the different views of stuff? God is everywhere all the time. Yes. What's the problem with Because if you look at Old Testament visuals of God, a lot of it is Jesus just not revealed yet. Hmm. Like, who's coming in on the donkey? They said Jehovah, right? Hmm. Who's going to be pierced? Jehovah. Isaiah 6, I do believe the throne room. I remember watching a thing about that. Mm-hmm. But it gets revealed later that it's Jehovah, right? Mm-hmm. Or sorry, that Jehovah in that instance was Jesus. So, one would think is the angel of the Lord. Could that not be Jesus as well? It's another mm-hmm. ritual. It's another... Because no one's seen the Father. Mm-hmm. So that means whatever was the bush was not the father. So now you have two other options. Mm-hmm. So it's probably Jesus again, right? But like the point is, is what's the problem? He's everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. It becomes a role thing. Mm-hmm. See me, Jesus is the guy. Yep. You want to be the comfort. Yep. Spirit's the guy. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, and that gets into the... Is it wrong to say roles? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, as long as it's not like we're viewing it as um, Son and Holy Spirit are lesser, no, right? Are yeah. So, different. yeah, roles are are no issue, right? Because, like I said, you, as you think about, um, even as if you think about creation, in in creation account, you have God the Father speaking the words like speaking the universe into existence. God said, let there be light. But then you read in Colossians that it was actually Jesus who was carrying that out. So you have God the Father speaking the universe into existence. Colossians says Jesus is the one by which everything is created. And then you have the Spirit moving and hovering over the water. So it's like the Spirit wasn't the one speaking out, right? That was God the Father's role or function, right? Um, even our salvation, like I mentioned, God the Father planned redemption before the foundation of the world, and God the Father sent Jesus. Um, Jesus, his role is he willingly submitted to that. He said, yes, I will go. He obeyed. Uh, he died on the cross. And then Jesus says, now I'm going to send you the Spirit, right? What's the Spirit's role? The Spirit's role is he indwells us, uh, and he is the one that uh, saves us, right? The Spirit opens our eyes to our need of God. And so, right, I think I said that earlier, God the Father didn't die on the cross. Like, that wasn't his role. His role was to send Jesus. And Jesus' role was to submit to that and say, yep, I will go and do that. And the, Spirit's, the Spirit didn't die on the cross, right? The Spirit was sent by God, or by Jesus after. So yeah, I think it's totally fine to be like, there's different functions and roles for each person of the Trinity. And yet each one is fully God. Because, <laughs> yes, because each one receives worship. Yep. Worship, you know, they wouldn't say the whole no, no, I'm just a, a something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it looks like a God, it acts like a God, it's got to be. So it ends up being the same, well, it can't be any of this, so it has to be this. Mm-hmm. We're limited to our finite existence and to this. Totally. Try to explain the, uh, what a tesseract looks like. Watch that on YouTube. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you're in a three dimensional world, that's just all it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there isn't more to it. It's just all we can see and sense, right? Yep. So, I mean, 
Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, you cut out all the what it could be, and you just end up with what it is. Yeah. It's a Trinitarian, three and one, one and three, right? Yep. Yeah, and then to just end, like the idea, why does this matter, right? Because, so for instance, if you would go and talk to, and you might watch videos online, but if you would go and, and talk to Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, they would say, no, we believe in the same God. Um, we've, we follow Jesus. Jesus died for us. And so you go, for, for them, like I've had conversations with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses where they're like, we're on the same team. We're both Christians. So you go, well, it, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity gets so crucial and so important because um, there's certain things at stake if it's not true, right? So um, I just, I, I'm going to read some of these. But so first of all, our atonement is at stake. So atonement being like our, our sins being paid for. Uh, this guy wrote, if Jesus is merely a created being and not fully God, then how could he, a created creature, bear the full wrath of God against all our sins? Could any creature, no matter how great, really save us? So if Jesus, right, according to Arianism, is just a created being, how on earth could he bear the full weight of sin on him, right? It's, you couldn't. Um, secondly, this guy says, um, justification by faith alone is threatened if we deny the full deity of Jesus. And, uh, this is seen today in the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses who do not believe in justification by faith alone. If Jesus is not fully God, we would rightly doubt whether we can really trust him to save us completely. Can we really depend on any creature fully for our salvation? So the idea that we're not saved by our works, but solely by Jesus. If Jesus isn't God, it's really hard. It would be like me saying, hey, I died for your sins. It's like, well, how can we trust just some created person? You can't. It has to be God who did this for us. Um, thirdly, this guy says, if Jesus is not infinitely God, should we pray to him or worship him? Who but an infinite, omniscient God could hear and respond to all the prayers of all God's people? Um, and then another one is, the independence and personal nature of God are at stake. If God, if there is no trinity, then there's no interpersonal relationships within the being of God before creation and without personal relationships, it's difficult to see how God could be genuinely personal or, or be without the need for a creation to relate to. So there's actually a lot at stake if we're like, well, the Trinity doesn't exist. Well, then really our salvation comes into question because you go, just a man could not have saved us. That's impossible. It had to be God, right? It had to be fully God who would save us. So that's why when... Um, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and even, uh, you know, United Pentecostal uh, denominations when they're like, and it's not a big deal. We believe in one God. You believe in a Trinity. That's fine. It's like, no, actually, there's a ton at stake, right, if, if the Trinity's not true. So um, it totally matters um, that we, we get this right, right, about God's nature. Um, I don't know. Final thoughts. I didn't go over, like, and it, it was mentioned, there's lots of human analogies that are somewhat helpful, but they all fall short because there's nothing in the created world that is quite like God being three in one, right? There's the example of water. I think you mentioned that water can be steam and liquid and ice at the same, or at different times. There's the example of the egg, well, the yolk and the white part and the shell, and they're all an egg. And it's like, okay, yep. 
Um, there's the, the three-leaf clover. There's the tree analogy. And it's interesting that Scripture nowhere uses any analogy to try and explain it, right? It's, which I find fascinating. Nowhere in the New Testament is Paul like, let me explain it like this. It's kind of like an egg, right? No, he just says like, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he leaves it at that for us to wrestle with. So, last thoughts or... Is everyone's brain hurt? <laughs> there is an element, um, and it's the same when we're going to talk in a, in a little few weeks about the nature of Jesus being fully God and fully man at the same time. There's an element where you, because God's given us reason and logic, you get to a certain place, and then that's, I think, where faith comes in, where you go okay, I, I have to believe by faith because I can't 100% explain it. I can, get, I can get close, right? It's not blind faith where it's like, we don't know anything. But you get close and then you take that step of faith going, okay, I believe by faith that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's where it seems to be pointing me to. So. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it was just after the apostles all died off that the next generation in the early church was like, well, we got to figure this out. <laughs> For the apostles, they were like, what's the big deal? <laughs> Father, Son, and Spirit. There is a warning of a second Jesus, right? There's a right one and a wrong one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where the deceits, false Jesus. Yeah, totally. That's where the deceit starts. That's what the devil wants. He wants to pull you into... Totally. Because it is important. Yeah. Jesus, you know, John 8, 58, I am. That's all you, that's, that's it. Right yeah. There. But it's funny how yeah. they can't accept that. But to me, that's just deceit. And it's yeah, purpose. totally. It totally is. Because, yeah, that, that Jesus can't save you because he's not God, right? So, yeah. Because Jesus rose to himself, another God attribute, right? Uh-huh. That's the difference with again, right? They don't believe that portion. So that's the false view of what Jesus did. Right. Yeah. You have to believe he rose again. Mm -hmm. His own will or he did not Mm -hmm. So it is important. Yeah. Totally. It's kind of funny now where when you speak about the Baptist and you, you envision Jesus being the water and then you hear the voice from heaven and the dove, and this is my son, and I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, why are you saying, this is me? <laughs> yeah. And, and you should be, this is how you know Yep. Yeah, because, and that's where the brain, the brain wrestling is, is because the Father isn't Jesus, and Jesus isn't the Father. Right, I've heard people say to me, okay, so was Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was just talking to himself. I was like, no, he was talking to his father. But the father is, there's only one God. I'm like, yeah, I know, but there's three persons. So Jesus wasn't praying to himself. He was praying to the father. 
and yet there's only one God. <laughs> right? You can be here all night. <laughs> or yeah, I've heard people say that, like, he's schizophrenic, he's talking to himself. No, he's not. He's talking to his father. Right? So it is, it's an amazing mystery. Um, and I, I think, of, of course God exists like this, because, right, the scripture that says, like, my ways are so much higher than your ways. My thoughts are so much higher. If we could just fully figure out God and explain him, we would be God because we would know everything. The fact that there's elements of God that we go, man, this is just too wonderful for me to get. It goes, well, because that proves that he's God, right? So for me, like, I remember early on really wrestling and being frustrated. Why is this so confusing? And then I got to a place where I'm like, it's actually good. It's good that there's this element of, this is way too wonderful for me to like fully figure out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me pray and then uh, look at that. Done early, not like last time. Um, um, God, you are so wonderful and we are just in awe of who you are. Um, God, that you have eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet um, you are one God, and we just humbly come before you saying, we, you are just too wonderful, wonderful for us to even fully comprehend, and yet we know that Scripture clearly shows us um, the truth that there is one God, and yet you exist as three persons. Um, God, I pray that this would not be a, a doctrine, a theology, that frustrates us, but would be one that just leaves us in awe and wonder of who you are, that you are just, your, your ways are so much higher than our ways. And so we just worship you, God, um, tonight. I, I pray that um, anytime we study your word and study who you are, that it would just stir up in us more love for you and just awe at who you are. So uh, thanks for tonight and all our good discussion. And I uh, just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.